Hi, everyone, and welcome back to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here today as I speak with our fellow health at every size and eating disorder specialist dietitian, Jennifer McGurk, who is from New York City in the US. So Jennifer and I have known each other, I guess, online for quite a length of time, and we had an opportunity to meet last year in the US. Uh, Jennifer has a really unique perspective on non-diet approach and health at every size, given that she really started off strongly in the weight-centric way of working as a dietitian. So here we'll be diving down into uh, sharing quite a lot of what Jennifer's experience has been in making that shift from weight-centric practice to a non-diet approach and health at every size, uh, particularly with her clients with uh, disordered eating and eating disorders. Uh, Jennifer is also really a specialist in business coaching, which I find really inspiring, to be honest, because I think we can all identify that, you know, there are times, particularly when working in this paradigm, that it can feel really difficult to kind of, quote unquote, sell what we're doing. You know, if we're not selling weight loss, well, then what are we doing? The truth is that's a lot of what we're doing. And here, Jennifer really generously shares some of her uh, tips and advice about how we can really build a long-term successful practice using health at every size. We also talk about navigating social media and some of the pressures and dilemmas and complexities that can come around when you're uh, interacting on social media. I'm sure a lot of you will relate to, um, you know, the discomfort that can sometimes arise when we're really just trying to learn. And um, and we talk about that, you know, um, high intensity emotion and compassion can all coexist um, and that there are plenty of spaces where we can learn, even if it's uncomfortable. For those of you who are newer to The Mindful Dietitian, please join us over on the Facebook group, which is simply called The Mindful Dietitian. It is a closed group designed for professionals who are really looking for extra support uh, in uh, health at every size, non-diet approach, mindfulness, eating disorders, body image, and everything around that kind of, uh, around those those sort of topics. Um, we have uh, well over 4,500 uh, health professionals there on that, on the, in that group now and there is plenty of very interesting and wonderful discussions that happen over there. I always either have a laugh or a um uh, you know, it's always a great place to pause and just see what people are thinking about. So um, we'd love for you to join us over there. The Mindful Dietitian uh, website is www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and over there you'll see lots of things, um, lots of downloadables, lots of resources, information, um, updated training and events, all episodes of the podcast and an opportunity to sign up for the newsletter which goes out uh, semi-regularly, shall we just put it that way. Um, what you'll also notice there is a new online training course that I've just developed. I'm kind of half anxious, half nervous, and half excited. Oh, that's three halves. That's never going to work. Um, so uh, together with Shane Jeffrey, who is a fellow eating disorder sports dietitian from Brisbane, we have developed an online course uh, called Eating Disorders in Sport, which is a, a, a multi factorial, multi-sectional uh, online-based training program specifically for dietitians, not just sports dietitians, but any dietitians that are interested in working with athletes and active people and uh, learning how to disentangle uh, eating behaviours um, from sports and sporting performance and how to really uh, set up a body positive frameworks in the sporting setting um, and how you can upskill and be more confident in knowing what to say to who, when 
again, when it comes to maybe some uh, troublesome or some um, problematic behaviours that you're noticing in your clients or athletes. So again, thank you so much for being here with me on the Mindful Dietitian podcast. And I really hope you enjoy this episode with Jennifer McGurk. Hey, Jennifer, it's so wonderful to chat with you today and welcome to the Mindful Dietitian podcast. Thank you, Fiona. I am so honored to be here and thank you, much for, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So you and I first connected when Marcy and I uh, ran our body image workshop in New York City. And just before we pressed record, we were reminiscing about just the fantastic community of people that happened to be there that day. So you're, you are a New York resident and um, an eating behavior and body image and eating disorder specialist, dietitian, and have been so for quite a number of years. So tell me a little bit about your New York community and, and, and what that kind of means to you. I love it. I love this question. So I love my New York community. I moved to New York from immediately after my Penn State education and my dietetic internship in Baltimore. So I've been in New York for 11 years. And I mean, I haven't been an eating disorder dietitian for all those 11 years, but it has been so wonderful to connect with other dietitians in New York and to really connect with the community of people that I call my home now in New York. So there is New York City, which is about 45 minutes south of where I live currently, but there is such an active community of eating disorder professionals in New York City, as well as an active community in Westchester and Rockland, which is where the majority of my clients come to see me from. So I just feel very lucky that I have so many professionals around me in New York that can support the eating disorder treatment and the eating disorder treatment team and, you know, so many of the wonderful things that come with having such a wonderful community around you. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how often it comes up in the conversations that we have in this podcast, the importance of community and having that support, especially when we're, uh, you know, aiming to support, support others in their journey towards having more peace with food and their bodies. You know, being able to stay well connected ourselves is, is a pretty critical part of that. So it sounds like you've really found your feet. It's awesome. <laughs> Yes, thank you. So I totally agree. I think that if you do this really important work with clients, you need to feel supported yourself and you need to make sure that you feel like you're part of a treatment team and that you could be the best healthcare professional that there is, but you cannot treat an eating disorder alone. You really need to have that treatment team in place and then also a place for you to go and get the support and supervision and just peer mentoring that is so important when doing eating disorder work and body image work, but then also running a business too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, that, and that's one of your strengths is kind of providing support for dietitians who are both working in eating disorders and also wanting to have a sustainable business. So we'll come back to that because I know you've got, I know you've got lots of thoughts and you're such a wonderful um, source of wisdom for kind of that, that intersection between, you know, running a business and also, um, you know, being an eating disorder professional. So we'll come back to yeah. that if, if that's awesome. okay with you. I know. Perfect. So Jennifer, I'm curious to understand a little bit about how you came to the work that you're doing today and, you know, what are the various kind of, um, various kind of work situations that you, you've been in? So can you tell us a little bit about how you've come to be where you are today? 
Yes. So I have a very interesting journey in the sense that I started out my career as a very traditional, and I'm going to use that in air quotes, of course, but traditional dietitian in the sense that I was trained in a very weight-centric approach. Um, I also do not mind disclosing that I had my own disordered eating, like personally, when I was going through my education and my internship. And at the very early stages of my career too. So my first job was in diabetes education and it was so amazing. I, I really did love the job, but it was so destructive in certain ways for me because every single day I was working to quote unquote, help people get healthy and lose weight. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it was it was, you know, the people that I worked with were awesome and I still love them to this day, but we put people with diabetes on diets and we really did quote unquote, try to help them as best as we can with quote lifestyle changes and all these things. I just do not want to trigger anybody or say anything that's going to sound so negative, but I want to be honest with people and tell people where I was coming from when I was, you know, a brand new dietitian at 22 years old. Like I was really stuck in a very traditional mindset of, of, of wanting people to get healthy and help them and didn't really know any other way other than to help them with dieting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, but how would you? Because we've all been raised in diet culture, a lot of our training still to this day, although things are shifting in some teaching programs, which is amazing. Yeah. So, so you weren't kind of, we don't know any different, do we? We don't, we, we don't know what we don't know. And it was, it's so funny that you say that because I, when did I go to back to Penn State? It was March, 2017 that I was invited back to Penn State, which is where I had my education and to do a talk on intuitive eating, which is just so full circle to me because it really, you know, I see more schools embracing the approaches of intuitive eating and health at every size and non-diet approach, but I still think we have a long way to go. Um, there was none of that in my education whatsoever, but it was right after my dietetic internship, probably a year after my dietetic internship that, that I was in my job and I was doing my diabetes education work. And I can talk about the, all of the stuff that I was kind of leading up to the perfect timing for me reading intuitive eating. Cause when I read the book, it just kind of had light bulbs in my head, like, Oh my gosh, like personally and professionally, this is what I've been missing. Like this is it. And I had so many light bulb moments reading that book. Of course, I didn't change everything right away. And I can talk about that too. But I found intuitive eating at the perfect time for me to find it. It sounds like it was a bit of a parallel process. Yes, it really was. And, and I am grateful for that experience. Now, I think looking back, it was a little bit messy because I was going through my own stuff. But I mean, I, what, what, what can I say? I wouldn't have it any other way because it wouldn't change my experience. But it was interesting, to, like looking back and having so much hindsight, like looking back and going through the process of changing personally and also changing professionally, like what my views were on quote unquote health and wellness and really just remembering like all the trigger points for me and kind of figuring out some of those same things were true for my clients too. Mm, yeah. So it sounds like you recognized in some of your clients' stories, some of your own experience, but until, until a resource kind of was introduced to you, that they were kind of two separate stories as opposed to being able to see them as coming yeah. from the, 
a similar place. Yes. So it's so funny because what we really tried to do with our clients in the diabetes clinic was to help them get healthy. And I was doing such a quote unquote great job of being healthy myself, but then I was also mm-hmm. struggling with binge eating disorder while I was helping my clients get healthy. And what I was seeing in my practice or not my practice, but at my job at the time was that I would get people with the same similar story of how they've always tried to be healthy. They just couldn't do it. It's too hard. And I would help them get like so revved up, quote unquote, to be healthy. And I would help people, quote, lose weight. And I feel like I have to say these things in quotes because I would never say these things now. But really what I was doing was I was reinforcing a restriction pattern in people that they were perfectly capable of, of doing for the short term, just like a lot of people are capable for going on a diet for a short term, but then a couple sessions would go by and I didn't hear from them. And then maybe a couple months later, their doctor would come up and say, this person is non-compliant. And oh my gosh, I hate mm-hmm. that word so much. But oh, yeah. This person is non-compliant. They can't do what you recommended. Their blood sugars are crazy. They've gained five pounds. And about after a year of that, it kind of got to me. And, you know, while I was struggling with my own binging disorder, I kind of said like, you know, maybe this way of eating isn't healthy. Like maybe it's not healthy. Like maybe there is something to dieting that I'm missing, but I also struggle with the fact that like, maybe I'm just not doing it right. Like maybe Mm -hmm. I'm not doing it right. And maybe I'm not personally and professionally, maybe I'm just not like, do I know everything as a dietitian? And again, I was 22, 23 years old at the time. So I have so much compassion for anybody in their teens and twenties going through any type of disordered eating, because not only do you have the disordered eating to work, to kind of struggle with, but you also have all the stuff about growing up and maturing and, you know, all of that good stuff that, you know, as adults, we can look back and have so much compassion for ourselves as teenagers, but it's hard in the moment. Um, but yeah, it it is. It's um, what I'm what I'm curious to ask you a little bit more about, if it's okay, is it sounded like um, you had these moments where there was some doubt about the way that um, you had been kind of introducing the concept of quote unquote health, or and maybe how that is achieved or pursued, or however we want to say it. So I'm curious to hear a little bit about how you would reflect. How did those doubts arise for you? Like, mm, let's get specific. What did it feel like for you or what did it look like? Or what, mm-hmm. uh, the reason I'm asking that question is, is so that um, other, other of our colleagues who are listening can recognize maybe what that feels like. Um, and, and, and to reiterate that, it's usually not comfortable. That's one hint. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. So the feelings of doubt that came over me was really things like my clients aren't able to lose weight. They should be doing certain things. I'm not the dietitian for them. Like what, what am I doing wrong? How am I, you know, what can I do better? Like I must not know everything that I need to know. And just kind of questioning not only my education as a dietitian, but you know, my counseling style, like whether or not people were connecting with me. But back then, Fiona, I was such a dietitian that broke out the carbohydrate counting pamphlet and circled the amount of carbohydrates that someone should have and said, here's this beautiful meal plan. Like I made it, follow it. 
And I would never do that now. Like my counseling style has completely shifted from an educational dietitian role to a nutrition therapist role. And I'm telling you, I'm never looking back. <laughs> yeah. And yet, like I, I know you well enough to know that you have always been a well-intentioned, caring, kind dietitian and human. You know, that's, yes. what I, that's what I know about you. So it, it's interesting that we can be all those things and actually be uh, kind of hurting people or be, yes. contrib or be contributing to diet culture. And I think that's really important to re recognize because you are still that same kind, caring, compassionate, incredible, um, uh, just a generous person as you were back then. It's just that, um, you know, you're, you're now uh, engaged in this in a different way. Exactly. And that's why I have so much compassion for dietitians that are still struggling with this. Mm -hmm. And I love to talk to other dietitians about my process and about my journey. And I don't think I talk about it enough because I really do want people to understand that just because a dietitian is saying certain things you know, they might still be struggling with some of the stuff that I was struggling with 10 years ago. Like I would be mortified right now if someone looked at a blog post or article or project that I did 10 years ago, but I can stand proudly on my own two feet now and say that I've learned from my mistakes and that I'm going to do better and that I am constantly going to be learning from my mistakes. Like I'm not done yet by any means. I'm sure I'm going to make mistakes going forward, but all I can do as a compassionate human being is really recognize, try to learn, try to grow and, you know, do better. So I'm wondering what kind of um, advice you would have for maybe dietitians who um, are wondering how to navigate that process because yes. I, th I think sometimes my observation is that we can kind of get a little bit stuck in the idea that um, we're being a calling to account or a calling to um, a calling to kind of do better as we say is somehow accusing us of not being nice and caring or some or something like that um, whereas you know what what you and I are really digging down into now is that we we can be those things and and you know do do the kind of uncomfortable work of um, of recognizing things like privilege and and how bias can creep in so sneakily to our work. Thank you, diet culture. Um, so I guess you know what would be your advice or you yeah. know to to others. Yeah. So I would say back then I was. I don't want to say I was scared, but I mean, I'll, I was scared. Like I was scared to change because I didn't really know that there was anything else out there. But when I found intuitive eating, I said, oh my gosh, I need to learn about this. Like this is really speaking to me. So the process of changing, I mean, it took about a year for me to fully embrace the concept of intuitive eating. So a full year, I mean, it's not like I found the book and then the next week I was practicing differently in my diabetes job. So I found the book. I went to my own therapy for myself personally, but I slowly started to reach out to some professional, for some professional people that I had known in the past, like an eating disorders 
uh, registered dietitian just to find out more about what she did because I was interested in it now that I knew that I didn't really want to do like traditional dietetic stuff. Um, and then I found an, a, a mentoring group, like a peer mentoring group. I was on like certain listservs. I found different organizations that I could belong to. And I just started to soak up and absorb. I didn't start my private practice at the time because I was too scared to just start a private practice and something that I thought I really needed a lot more support in. But I did find a new job eventually, um, working as a student healthcare dietitian when saw a lot of eating disorders. But I didn't go off on my own. Like I got a ton of supervision from that counseling center and really just started to, I would say, absorb as much information as I could with different webinars, education, peer supervision, and just group support. Yeah, that's awesome. So as you were talking, I just made some notes as a bit of a summary. So um, so let me know if I got any of this wrong. So, okay, first of all, you took your time. Yes. Oh, yeah. I took I took my sweet time. <laughs> I would mm -hmm. say because I I looking back, I think I had to go through my own grieving process because, like you said, like the the processes for me were very parallel. So I had to go through my own grieving process, knowing that diets didn't work. I had to go through my own therapy, my own stuff, and at the same time, I also had to recognize that just because I was changing directions in my career didn't mean that my dietitian career was over. I yes. had to really learn more about what I could do as a dietitian that didn't really believe in the diet approach anymore. Yes. And that took time. Absolutely, because you're kind of redefining your own role as a, as a healthcare provider, aren't you, in so yes. many ways, and as a dietitian too, because I yeah. mean, even, I mean, let alone our wider culture, I tend to think about it on kind of a couple of different levels. The first is our wider culture where we're all, you know, we're all in this stew together. And then there's kind of the health health provider culture, um, uh, you know, and there's kind of our role within that. And there's def a definite hierarchy. And we're pretty well aware of where dietitians sit in this hierarchy. And it's usually not near the top, quite sadly. Um, and then there's dietetic culture, you know, and, and our yeah. kind of role and our place and our voice within that. So it's, um, you know, all, all three of those spaces, you know, trying to navig navigate them and finding a way to redefine how we want to practice and how we want to use our voice. And, you know, that's something about you, Jennifer, that's just such a strength of yours is that, that you use your voice in such a considerate way. Um, you're not one to kind of, um, well, my observation is you're, you're not one, you're one to use your voice um, not only very generously in terms of support that you offer to people, but that you're very thoughtful about when and how. Um, I know that you're not afraid of a rant because that's what I love about you as well. Um, but but also that's not that doesn't define you either. It's you know it's you know you've obviously worked on how to use your energy and how to use your voice. Thank you, Fiona. Well, that is something that I have worked on because I think as you go through your own process, I, you have a lot of compassion for the people that are at square one because I've been there before. And, you know, sometimes I try to be as productive as I can in different conversations and different, you know, things to move our profession forward. But I also know that I can't do it alone and I'm totally fine with having other people support me trying to support other dietitians find the movement. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that you mentioned, which um, feels really relevant, is the reaching out for support. So you mentioned that um, you had some, you were in a mentoring group and, um, and probably, I imagine, some supervision as well. So what kind of value does that hold for you, do you think? Yes. Oh my gosh. I still have supervision. Oh, <laughs> me too. Me too. It's awesome. Nick is amazing. She is my official supervisor. I love her. Um, and I've been with her since 2013. Like I've used her a lot, a lot more in the earlier days. Like I now only have sporadic sessions with her, but when something comes up for me, I call her right away and I say help, <laughs> which is so awesome. So yes, I mean, I've had so many different types of supervisors throughout my career, just helping me, supporting me, letting me process things through them. Some have been formal as in like paid supervision and others have just been friendships and mentoring and, co and colleagues and, you know, business friends and that type of thing, which has been so crucial to both my quote unquote success as a dietitian, like helping a lot of clients and then also running a business because you cannot do this work alone, as we've said before. And you really do need to find your people that speak to you. It is crucial as a self-care practice for you to get support in this field. Yeah. There's just no other way to say it. No, definitely. And, you know, uh, we know that the rates of rates of um, burnout and fatigue are, are huge in, um, in not only in our profession, but also in the eating disorders provider sector so but having that um a community and support and supervision and people around you um you know to bounce ideas off and to um you know maintain that message is, is so crucial oh yeah and sometimes you just need to say to another person i had a really hard day mm -hmm. like i had a really hard client i have mm -hmm. you know this going on like or this is triggering for me or whatever it may be that was a lot more of me in my earlier days as a dietitian but i mean it's out there it's true you know it's it's stuff that we need to talk about and there's no shame in getting the support that you need. And that's why I love being a dietitian in the role that I am now, because I feel like I can support my clients in their eating disorder recovery. And then also I can support other registered dietitians through supervising them. So just like I get my own supervision, I supervise other dietitians too. And I do a lot more conjunction of business coaching and supervision, which is my favorite thing to do. Um, especially if you're growing like an intuitive eating private practice, I'm like, you're my perfect client, even though you're a professional, which I absolutely love because those, those dietitians need our support and they need to know that you can grow a business out there and you don't have to do a traditional dietetic role. Yes. Yes. That is so true. So you have a, a, a unique, uh, you have a unique role in, in doing that uh, supervision as in clinical, more clinical kind of based supervision. And then also, um, you know, encouraging business development, that side of things. Mm -hmm. So from a business perspective, what would you say are some of the key elements of building a sustainable business using a health at every size kind of framework? Okay. I love that question. So I would say your passion has to be there. Like your passion for the work that you do is going to be the foundation of growing a business. Because if you don't have that, and trust me, everyone has hard days where they feel like they might want to give up. But if you don't have that passion, you are going to get very fatigued and burned out with any business, not just not just the healthcare business, um, but that is probably the number one thing. And number two, I would say you have to have a network 
of community around you because your it's so funny. One of the biggest lessons that I've learned and that I pass on to my clients or dietitian clients, I should say, is that your clients are your clients. Yes. But your referral sources are what is going to keep the business running. So you have to find the referral sources, which are the other professionals that treat your clients. You have to find them and you have to connect with them and you have to make relationships with them because they know that you do a really good job with their clients. They are going to send you more clients and more clients. And especially if you can get in with the people that have the same values as you, you are going to be in the same page when it comes to the treatment team for clients with eating disorders. Your work is going to be so much easier and it's going to feel so much more authentic too. Like if you, if you're a dietitian and a therapist is working with you and you guys are just not on the same page, which has happened to me before, the work doesn't feel as authentic and you almost have to do a very weird job of treating your client, but then almost educating the therapist or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kind of going <laughs> in a different direction. And it just doesn't feel that great. So if you can find the people that really speak to you, take care of them, like you would in any natural relationship where you feel very aligned in your values, it's going to make your business flourish. Yeah. On that note, just to build on what you were saying then, how important is it, do you think, to um, not only find those people who are aligned with you, but then to invest some time and energy in helping those or, or helping support or educate those who might somewhat get it, but then somewhat kind of not get it as well? Oh, that is such a good question. I would say it is extremely important and I am so thankful that people took the time to educate me. So I feel like it's my duty to almost give back and educate the next crew of people that come you know, into the intuitive eating and health at every size world. It's so important. I mean, I'd say though, you want to set boundaries in private practice, just like you want to do in any type of business or any setting. If someone is just not having it, give yourself a time limit of I'm going to spend two minutes on this email and then I'm going to be done because you do need to move on if people are just not ready to hear your message, just from a self-care boundary point of view. But if you see someone that is on the fence and I think on the fence meaning that like they just don't necessarily get why their client is an XYZ and they're just seeming frustrated with the whole approach like you as a healthcare haze aligned person can go in and say have you ever heard of health at every size have you ever heard of intuitive eating and if they say no it is a perfect opportunity for you to just give a little bit of a you know, opening introduction to see how they take it. You don't, you might not want to spend hours and hours educating people because you, you have other things to do, but it is very important to make sure that you can give back because I feel like this community will grow the more that we do that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more with you. I think one of the, you know, as you were talking, one of the examples that I come across really regularly is maybe I'm working with a, a co-therapist who, um, who is an amazing eating disorder therapist, but we might be working with somebody who is living in a larger body and trying to um, recover from their eating disorder. And um, as would usually be the case, um, that they might be experiencing desires to be, to be living in a smaller body and and lose weight alongside the eating disorder recovery. I think you and I can probably um, say that this is a 
you know, it's a common kind of um, scenario. And um, I often find myself in situations where the therapist is kind of un, unwittingly uh, colluding with the client's desires for weight loss because they're not sure how to have that conversation around diet culture and about fat phobia and about internalized weight stigma and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I'm, I'm curious to know your, that's a, that's a scenario that comes up for me really regularly. So what yes. do you do in that situation? <laughs> me too as well, Fiona, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I would say I always like to say we have to treat the client. We cannot treat their body size. We can't, we just can't. And and I think once a therapist learns to trust your nutrition recommendations, the thing I say all the time to them is that I am making sure that they're getting nourishing, adequate meals, snacks, and I'm going to let their body weight do what it's going to do. And sometimes, trust me, people will come back and say, well, I'm so happy that they're going to lose weight now. And I'm just like, you have no idea what I just said. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like, listen, we have to focus on the, the nutrition, the nourishment, the, the stuff, the, not the stuff, the food that is going to give the client the stuff that they want in their life, which intuitive eating is intuitive living. But a lot of times with therapists, depending on how well I know them, I will just take a very hard stance of, listen, let me have this. <laughs> mm-hmm, and here mm-hmm. are some tips that you can do to make sure that you don't collude with their eating disorder and that you can help them with their own desires to lose weight too. Yeah, it is. The best therapists out there still live in the same diet culture that we live in. Absolutely. hundred percent. I mean, you and I have been in kind of the eating disorder treatment provider community for long enough to know that um, the the kind of underlying philosophies vary enormously. And, you know, in in my career, there has been I've been pre and post FBT or not post, but, you know, we're, you know, we're in the middle. Yeah in it now and I've also been pre and post CBTE you know both of which omit the dietitian so let's not go down that rabbit hole right now um but that uh you know the way in which we really support uh, the folks who come to us for 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 assistance um you know towards their recovery our the way that we are with them really matters our own attitudes to weight and body it really matters and in some ways um i would go as to far as far as to say that it's kind of pivotal and and can and can be a make or break in terms of of full recovery um what, what do you think no, I agree with you too. I mean, I feel I feel like this is so horrible to say, but it's almost like we help clients recover from their eating disorder to a world that has its own eating disorder. Ugh, God, so yes. it is True. even harder to live in a larger body, recover from an eating disorder because of all the oppression that is out there. And you know, it really sucks and it's very unfortunate. So that's why I just try to do everything I can to try to move forward with you know, the things that I can do in my office teaching clients. And, you know, it's just, it's so wonderful though, when people do come to realize like the changes that they can have breaking down those barriers and breaking Mm -hmm. down those walls. And I have so, I have so many great stories of clients that have actually done the work and have like formed friendships and reached out to people that they probably never would have if they didn't do the work. So, a couple of those situations that happen just make up for 
all the stuff that doesn't happen, <laughs> you know, like I, we are changing lives, which is just so amazing. Yes. Yeah, that's so true. And, and it's sometimes we can, we can find ourselves a little stuck in, in feeling like, oh, this feels like a hamster wheel. We just keep going round and round the same, same shit, different day. But um, no, I, I agree with you. You know, when we're able to step back and, and notice not only what we've done, but also, you know, pay tribute to the work that's been done before us in order to make our... Yeah our opportunities happen really in so many ways. So at, at this point yeah, in time, definitely. just, just, um, you know, tip our hats to the health at every size and fat activists that have gone before us that have actually made our yeah. work possible. So um, we salute you. Yeah. <laughs> we do. We do. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart, because truly when you think about it, like those people that have done the work before us, like, they have truly saved my professional life. You know, like I don't think I'd be a dietitian if it wasn't for some of that work. And I just have to be so grateful and so appreciative. And that's why I have to give back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. And I mean, you and I are both in highly privileged positions in terms of the bodies in which we live and our education and the opportunities that we have in life. And there comes with that, uh, I guess, some responsibility, doesn't it? So exactly. I'm yeah. yeah. And the work that you do in terms of supporting other dietitians is amazing. So just kind of, kind of uh, getting back to your, the way you support businesses, um, you know, you, you mentioned passion, you mentioned um, networking and, and setting boundaries, all of which are, you know, r really critical yeah. parts of building a, a successful business. Um, one question I had for you was around messaging and and in, in particular kind of consistency of messaging and how how those of us that are able to have a voice um, how we can encourage um, uh, what we might say, uh, describe as quote-unquote on-point messaging in others and how, how can we kind of do that do you think yeah well that's a great question I think so we I mean, it's so funny because I feel like my messaging has been all over the place the first couple years of my private practice as I was finding my own voice. So I think that it goes to say that you can always change your messaging if you are a dietitian. Like once you learn you and grow, you can do better, which is really great. Um, but I think we just have to support other dietitians. I try to share as much stuff as I can that I agree with on social media. I try to be very deliberate in the messaging that I have. I try my hardest to balance, and sometimes they align, sometimes they don't, but balance my business mind with my eating disorder treatment mind, which I feel like I'm really much better at now than I was at the beginning with just years of experience under my belt. But I want to make sure that I'm available to clients when they need it. I want to make sure that I have, you know, all the stepping stones aligned to my private practice that I can treat as many people as I can still making the money that I need to make and having just a lot of compassion and support for people that, you know, don't have the, the money to actually have treatment, I have tons of different options that I can send you to, whether it's like Project Heal or treatment centers or using your insurance. So getting the message out there that everyone deserves eating disorder treatment is, you know, important, I think. And that's the brand that I want to convey. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of um, dietitians promoting um, promoting health at every size or intuitive eating, um, mindfulness, mindful eating, and that kind of uh, you know um, th those ideas, um, I love I love the way that you said you know that you can test out some different voices and you can kind of test out some different um, ways of messaging. And one thing I've noticed is um, that you know, maybe there are some 
um, dietitians who are newer to this that feel like they feel under pressure to get their voice kind of right, quote unquote, first time, or that they've got to kind of get it right. So I, I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. Fiona, I still hope that I get my messaging right sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that too. I, I am nervous sometimes if I do put stuff out there that might not, that someone might not resonate with it, but I just have to say to myself, like you have to try. And I would say that to other dietitians too. It's better to try and you know what the worst that could happen is that someone does say something that you learn from. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really is the worst that can happen. And at the end of the day, it's not so bad. You know, mm -hmm. you're learning and you're growing and getting the message out is so important and we all need to do it. And we all need to make sure that we have voices and that we lift up other voices that need to be heard too. Yes, that is so true. You know, particularly when we're in a position of privilege that we're not pretending that we made this up and, and that this is kind of <laughs> unique to us. It's it's because of the work that's yeah. been done before us and that when we can, as you say, elevate the voices of those who are, whose voices are not being heard, who, whose experiences are more marginalised than our own, that um, that's actually a really great, um, I was going to say service, that's sort of what I mean and sort of not. I mean service in a genuine way. It is doing good work to yeah. elevate the voices of others. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that, and that is a brand that I hope that I convey, although, you know, sometimes in social media, it's really hard to kind of know exactly what everyone is all about because we mm. only post stuff that's really positive and great because it's social media. But I think it's important that we all stay true to ourselves and we have brands that speak to whatever we want to speak about. As human beings, I feel like we have so many opportunities to learn and learn from different personality styles. Maybe that's what I'll say. So whether or not you get feedback that is like so kind and compassionate and just like willing to kind of talk through things or you get someone that is a little bit more straightforward. It might just be a personality thing too. Mm. You know, it, it might just be like the way that people respond. I mean, and the, the tough part about social media is that we really just don't, we can't, we can't see the full picture. You know, if we were all, mm -hmm. if there were six people posting something on social media and there were six, those same six people in a circle of, people around mm -hmm, it would be a completely mm -hmm. different interaction so I feel like sometimes things on social media get a little bit blown up because we really just don't know how <laughs> other people yeah, are responding because so it's social media yeah that's but, so true you know. and, and you and I have the benefit of actually knowing a lot of those people in our circles at least yeah. vaguely personally so we know that even okay they've, so I'll, I'll give you an hearts they have they've just such hearts. good hearts yeah. and they really care and they really care yeah. for you to learn like really really care yeah. I go with that first I'm like you care so much for me to learn that you have taken the time to respond literally yeah. so yeah you, you don't owe me actually niceness you you're like thank you so much even though I'm stinging right now like I'm really stinging like like I've had a couple of situations with um one of oh my gosh I think um Oh, name her. Deb Burgard is like yeah. the person I look up to the most. Yeah. Oh my goodness. She just astound that brain. Oh my lord. And then she is amazing. <laughs> absolutely incredible. And the most kind of steep learning curves I've had has been a result of Deb, quote unquote, helping me learn. <laughs> um, and and not offered niceness. And at first, yeah. It stung, really stings, because then we go into, oh my God, I'm such a bad person, I should have done better, I shouldn't have written that, blah, 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 blah. And then if we're able to kind of 
get over ourselves a little bit and then go, actually, this person cares enough to help me learn. If they didn't give a shit, they wouldn't have even posted and they could have bitched about me behind my back, like whatever. Um, yeah. But oh, yeah. And, and I would also offer the fact that this person cares enough to help me and, and is really invested in my learning. Like that is just so amazing. Mm-hmm. So it's great. Yeah. Yeah. We often, I don't know about you. I don't really necessarily have enough time even to have coffee with my best friends. So if I'm going to <laughs> take a yeah. few moments to respond to you on social media, it's because I care. It's not because yeah. I'm pissed at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. Jennifer. Do you know Facebook what? groups are a conversation for <laughs> an extra conversation. I know. That's a whole other podcast. We'll get back it's to a that. a whole other podcast. I know. I know. Um, Jennifer, thank you so, so much for joining me. This has just been it's such a pleasure chatting with you as, as, as it always is with you. Um, and can you tell us a little bit, so how can people find you and particularly about your, your coaching and supervision as well? Okay. I love it. Well, thank you, Fiona, so much for having me on. This was truly a pleasure and I had so much fun with you. So I am Jennifer McGurk RDN on Instagram and Facebook. You can find me there. I have my nutrition counseling practice, Eat With Knowledge, which is eatwithknowledge.com and so many offerings there for clients and also professionals that want to learn about intuitive eating. And then I also have my Pursuing Private Practice Masterclass eCourse, which is pursuingprivatepractice.com, which is all about how to start and grow a business. And I do business supervision or I do uh, clinical supervision and business coaching there too. Oh, that's awesome. Come find me. (laughs) What a talented person you are. Goodness me. Thank you, Fiona. You too. Right back at you. Oh, thank you. This is just a big, a giant love fest, as it as it usually is on the podcast. Really, let's face it. Oh, I Jennifer, what a what a great time we've had. Thank you so so much for for sharing your your wisdom, your insights. Um, have just really appreciated the the time that you've that you've contributed yeah. and um and the energy that you have. Thank you so so much. Thank you so much. Thanks, Fiona. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website, www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone.